Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God as people and as purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for praying. Please take your seats. It's great to see you all here this morning. My first prayer this morning is that I'll find my bearings on this new platform, that, that I'll know not to go like this and uh, land on my face. So that's my first prayer here this morning, is that I managed to find my bearings. Isn't it good to be back in this building? No, I prefer the other place, if I'm honest. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, it's not about the buildings, is it? But when you're in a, a really cool theater, it, it kind of is, but we need to get over that and move on and believe and trust God and what we do in the next season. It's exciting stuff. So this, this morning, we're, we're starting a theme on the whole theme of, of, of being limitless in God. And how do we describe the word limitless? We know that it means, you know, like if we live forever, we're, we're living limitlessly. We're going to live forever. There'll be no restraints on time that we'll live forever because Jesus said that we'll have eternal life. Isn't that exciting? So we're, we're going to live forever. And the good news for some of us here this morning, we'll not be in the same misery as we are now, but we'll live in eternal joy and peace and happiness. Isn't that good news? Come on, there'll be no depression. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no limitations. There'll be no restraints. That's an exciting place to be at in Him. I thank God for that limitlessness. But in life, how, how do we describe being unlimited or limitlessness? And in a sense, it's like this, this screen. If you're an artist and, and I come to you and I say, here's your canvas, or, or say I bring a postage stamp that's three centimeters by three centimeters, and I say, here's your canvas, how would all the artists feel in the room? Yes, really exciting. No, I don't think you would. I think you'd feel slightly limited. If I gave you a drawing this size and you were a beginner, you'd be like, man, that's a big piece of paper. How am I going to cope with this? But if you're an artist like, and, and you had a canvas this size, you'd be, you'd be quite excited. You'd be like, wow, there is a frame to work within, but there's a big canvas to, and it's a blank canvas that I can work on. And it's the same with God is that in, in hedonism, you can do whatever you like. You know how people say, it's up to you what you do today, whatever you feel like doing, you can do. Well, do you know what? There's so many people getting damaged through that lifestyle. There's so many people getting hurt through these lifestyles. And there's so many people think they're doing the thing that's right for them, but actually what they're doing is they're, they're, they're bowing to peer pressure, and they're, they're, they're listening to voices that are saying, you can do whatever you like without consideration of others, as long as you feel okay within that lifestyle. But here's the thing, so many people get damaged without frameworks. And, and, and the thing is, is that the Ten Commandments in the First Testament, one of the beautiful things is, it's like a framework that we are to live within, is that God gives us a tremendous freedom, but there is a framework within Him. There's like a moral code and a spiritual code that we need to live within, but He has laid that out for us. But within that framework, there's limitlessness. 
That was easy for me to say, wasn't it? So there's a freedom in him. And can you also imagine the screen that if you were to step in the screen like, like Narnia, you know when they go through the wardrobe? Has anybody seen Narnia? When, when they step through the cupboard or the wardrobe or whatever it is, and, and they find themselves in another place, it's like a, a fourth-dimensional life, and that's what it like, is like with life in the Spirit, is that as we contain ourselves within Him, He doesn't restrain us, but He releases us to live life in all of its fullness. It says, let's jump on the next slide. It says in Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Come on, isn't that good? He'll remember our sins no more. So the sins that have plagued us, the guilt and the shame that hound us, He'll remember these things no more, and we'll be free from that stuff. We'll be released from that stuff in Jesus' name. And that's what's exciting is the Word, the Torah, that will be written on our hearts. In other words, as, as we walk with Him, there'll be a sense in which you'll know not to do these things, but we'll have a desire to do what He wants us to do. Not just because He tells us so, but because we want to, because because these things will be written on our hearts. And that's the exciting thing of being a New Testament Christian. As we follow Jesus, the Christ, as we follow Him and His Spirit dwells within us, something happens on the inside that not only as we read His Word, there's something that, that changes on the inside of us that we want to stop doing certain things that will damage and restrain and destroy our lives. I don't know about you, but if it was left to me, I'd be pressing my self-destruct button right now. And I know that some of you can, some of you can't because you're so righteous, you're so holy, you've never done anything wrong, you're so proud and arrogant. But for those who are humble amongst us, who can relate to it, many of us, we, we would set, press that self-destruct button, button if we were left to our own devices. And God doesn't want us to self-press self-destruct. He wants us to walk with Him. And that's the beauty of the law being written on our hearts, or, or the commandments being written on our hearts, or His Word, or His Torah, or His, 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 what He has said He wants us to do, being within us, and on our mouths, and on our minds as well. What a powerful thing. Let's, let's read this morning. Let's go to the second slide. And I'm going to be communicating here this morning from the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the, 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 um, the woman at the well. And this is where someone who's had constraints on her life, suddenly she finds freedom from these constraints. Let's read it. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that He was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, Hands up if you think the Pharisees got their pompons out, pompons, pompons out and started celebrating Jesus, Jesus, rah, rah, rah. He's baptizing more people than John. Hands up who, who thinks they were celebrating Jesus' tremendous success in baptizing more people. Nobody. Hands up who thinks the Pharisees were jealous. They were. They were completely jealous. They were furious about Jesus' great success. So... Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, midday, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, well, give a drink, or will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, and it says here that he had gone through Samaria, and it's important to recognize that when we're talking about the Samaritan lands here and, and Jesus' movements, if you can imagine, can, can, can you all see this, this drum, this section from here to here, and from here to here? Can, can you all see that? Now, this, this represents the land of Israel, Israel, okay? And here's Samaria here, okay? So, do you see the wee triangle there? So, Jesus is going from here to here. Now, what happens is Jesus is someone who does what the Father tells him to do. Most of the Jews wouldn't walk through Samaria. They'd walk around, and it'd be a three-day journey. Do you see the racism and the discrimination that was going on? Mm-hmm. The racism, mm-hmm. it was going on here. It was going on in Israel, in the nation, and it was going on amongst their own people. There was a problem at hand, but Jesus did what the Father told them to do, and Jesus walked through. Woo. See, the, 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 this is the land of where you, you don't go there, Jewish people. You don't go there because they're from a different tribe than us, and, and their theology is different, and we think they're rather unclean. So, we'll walk this way, guys, but the Father says, I want you to walk this way. So, Jesus, Jesus just walks on by, and He walks on in, and He walks on through, and He does something that is incredibly different to what most other rabbis or teachers that would have done at the time. So, something has taken place where Jesus has to go through um, circumstances that look odd, where both He could be persecuted by the Samaritans and the Pharisees could drum up some business against Him, and what I mean is some violence against them. They hated them. So, He was doing something that was really, really odd at that time. So, the, the, the Samaritans, the, the, they called themselves Benai Israel, sons of Israel. So, they were part connected. They were tribal, the 12 tribes of Israel. We need to understand that they, they, they were included but excluded all at the same time. And their theology was a little bit different. They believed differently from how the Pharisees believed at that time about the Torah and things. You see, the Samaritans believed that the center of Israel's worship ought to be Mount Gerizim rather than Mount Zion, and they argued this from Deuteronomy 27.4. You see, they they, they believed that the place of blessings, Bethel, rather than Mount Moriah, and they believed these places were the same place, but they had a blessing on these locations that was different from what the Torah believers believed at the time. And they had a fourfold creed, so they weren't, they weren't unlearned people. They were learned people. They had a fourfold creed. One was one God, two was one prophet, three was one book, and the fourth one was one place. And the Samaritans believed that the people who called themselves Jews, which were Judea-centered believers in Israel, had taken the wrong path. So, the Samaritans believed that the Judea Jews were deceived, and vice versa. But the Samaritans had some bad theology as far as going back through the Torah, because they believed stuff from the Talmud, which is the tittle-tattle writings, 
of rabbis rather than the book itself. So they, they were on the wrong page in so many ways. They had so many things right, but they had a lot of things wrong at the same time. So they were on the wrong path, and a lot of it had happened because they'd been exiled in Babylon, and there was concerns about how they'd been infiltrated, and they'd married Gentiles, and they'd come back as, and, and mix things up a little bit. So those huge concerns about the Samaritans, not just how they lived, but also about their theology as well. So it was, it was, um, it was difficult for them to genetically to relate to the Judeans because of how they bred. Does that make sense? So how they, how they lived their lives and how they outworked the Jewishness was different to the Judeans. So there was a problem, and there was a theological problem, there was a race problem, and there was just a huge problem all in. But here comes Jesus. Everybody thinks that Jesus wore Jesus sandals, and He did. But sometimes He wore size 12 boots, with these big Doc Martens. Jesus just walked in the midst of all that was going on, and it was like, oh no, here He goes again. What's He doing this time? See, he was so unconventional. He just completely broke the mold. Everybody had an expectation that a Jewish rabbi would do one thing, but here comes Jesus. He does it again. He upsets everyone. Why is he, why is he not playing along with the politically, politically and theologically correct cards? Why is he not doing the things the way that we usually do them? Jesus, why can't you just conform and do what everybody else wants you to do? Why the heck do you have to go off and walk through Samaria? Why do you have to go and talk to this crazy woman? That's what people are thinking. So, you know, one of the things with, 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 um, with the, um, the mindset of this, uh, not just the Sumerians, of the Judean Jews at the time, the Pharisaical Jews, on how they thought, was that they, they, they didn't believe that the, of the preeminence of, of the Davidic dynasty where Jesus was said in Matthew, He says, the son of David. And someone cried out in the Scripture, they said, Son of David, have mercy on me. So they recognized the Davidic dynasty where the Samaritans didn't recognize this. How offensive is that to Jesus? I mean, that is horrible. That is disgusting theology. But Jesus, with his size 12 boots, come on, Jesus, let's do this. Jesus, Jesus walks in the midst of them. And uh, Jesus does something amazing. Let's, let's look at slide number four, and, um, and it says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well as it was about the sixth hour. And it, it, it's interesting that, that, that Jesus, wh wh why is he at Jacob's well? And it, and it, and it talks about you know, because there's a sense in which he's in the wrong vicinity for the Samaritans. He's in the wrong vicinity for the Judean Jews. Why is he in this place? What's he doing? Why is he drinking water from this well? But it's a place of significance. You see, it's like the background noises that within, within the culture, within the, the heritage of, 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 of Jewishness, there's something significant we know about Abraham Isaac and Jacob, the, the whole thing of the promise that comes forth and comes through Abraham, it comes through Isaac, it comes through Jacob, and Jacob's son Joseph, but his bones are there, and there's things that are significant where people's bones are buried, 
And there's some significant in Jewishness where that means something. So Jesus is, is drawing water from a place of covenant, a place of significance, and a place of like a standing stone where something is remembered that's significant from the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's jump on to slide five, and it says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and we, he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gives us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and, and his livestock? Oh my goodness, look at the history there. There's, there's, there's something taking place here, because the, the, the narrative the, the, the background noise, the, the noise that's going on in this woman's head must be horrific because she's got this perception that she's going to be hated by this Jewish man. She has this perception that he is not going to like her. In fact, he's not even going to sit with her, and he's not going to ask her to draw from that well because his, her perception is that this man is a Samaritan hating Jew. That's her perception, and that's the narrative that's gone on around her. So, when she comes to this conversation, there's all this background noise, and the background noise is loud. The hatred is horrific. So, she has this tremendously strong perception of how she is going to be perceived by this Jewish man. But Jesus, listen, somebody say, but. I don't mean the cigarette but or that but. I mean, but Jesus. In other words, Jesus comes in and he smashes through perceptions. Oh, man, I love this. And um, let's move on to the next slide. It says, Jesus answered, everyone, everyone who drinks this water drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh my gosh, isn't that good news? Is there any, I, I, you don't need to raise your hand, but is there anybody here this morning who's not sampled the living water? Oh my gosh, you need to come and sup from the well soon. I mean that with sincerely, because the message of Christ, the message of drinking from that well that wells up, the living water that wells up into eternal life is available for us today. Isn't that good news? And that's what's exciting is Jesus preached to this woman whose the background narrative was negative about a Jewish Judean man coming into her midst and having, striking up a conversation. She thought, she was going to be judged. She thought she was going to be written off. She thought the game was over. She thought there was no way through this thing of the Samaritan theology and the Judean theology, but up pops Jesus in the midst of it. And Jesus, Jesus brings hope, and Jesus brings answers. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. In other words, this was a well that came from the forefathers, the well 
of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this well, a well of memorial that was near the bones of Joseph, etc., etc. Here is Jesus saying, this well can only give you, it will quench your thirst, but he talks about a living water that will bring eternal life, and that's called limitlessness, ladies and gentlemen, because when the Spirit of God wells up within us, something takes place of eternity within us, and we can begin to hear His voice. We can begin to make choices that will change our lives forever. That young man, J.D., that's come here this morning, he's the third person that's been sent out from their church in the last three, three months. And, 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 and the church is not a hundred times bigger than this one. It's about double the size. So, that'd be 1.5 in the net. How'd you send out half a person? Anyway, it's possible. Let's, 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 have, let's have kingdom-mindedness. Let's have, have dreams of where people can be sent. People can also be received because of that limitlessness and how God wants to use us and change us and use us in conversations and be, be like Jesus because Jesus is the model of the man who sat at the well with a woman who had a mindset of what the heck is going on in this situation? How the heck can I push through and get through this? But here's the thing is that in a, a modern situation, how do, we, how do we reach the woman at the well? How do we reach people who've got a perception that the church, when, when people think of a preacher standing on a chair, a, not a chair, on a stage. When people think of a preacher standing on a stage, they think of preachers as incredibly judgmental. They think of people that represent Jesus as somebody who's going to cast them out, bring them down, judge them, and tell them everything that they're doing is wrong. Where Jesus broke into her circumstances and offered her eternal life. That's called tact, and that's called godly wisdom. By faith, we can see situations turn around where we meet people who've got perceptions of what Jesus is like or what the church is like. Many people have been hurt by church. Many people have, many people in a, um, have been sexually abused in church circles, sadly, when you go back through history. It's horrific and horrible. But that's not the Jesus that we know. The Jesus that we know is somebody who welcomes people in, and He breaks through barriers. He breaks through Samaritanism. He breaks through Judaism, and He breaks through Phariseeism, and He breaks through all these things, and, and He offers the woman eternal life. And that's an incredible thing. It goes on in the Scriptures to say, let's, let, let, let's, let's go to slide number seven. The woman said to Him, sir, give Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and, and come back. I know I have no husband, she replied. She had loads of husbands. So <laughs> Jesus said to her, you are right, my darling, when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. Is he getting legalistic? Is he about to hit her on the heat? Is he about to baseball bat her? Is he about to get all religious? Is the shark about to emerge and eat her alive? No. You're right when you have no husband. See, see, the liberation came first. You see, the liberation came first. You see, because... He spoke with liberation before He brought in correction. 
So the liberation cometh firsteth. The liberation came, and there, there's a way. There's a way into eternity. There's a way out of, and there's a way through. And that limitlessness that I'm about to give you, that, that well of the water of life, that living water that's about to burst forth in your life, first He gives her the hope, and then He brings in the news that He knows what she has gone through. But you see, the breaking news is not, not, not casseroled in condemnation. It's brought with grace and release. And I love that when you listen to the teachings of Jesus, as He unpacks people, but He unpackages them from the sin. The chains that have surrounded her, the life that has enslaved her, the damage that has been done by being married to all these lovely man uh, that she's about to be freed from. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true, sir, the woman said. I can see that you're a prophet. Man, if you'd been married to five people and somebody offered you living water, not just water from a well, and said, uh, you've not only got, you know, one man, but you've had five husbands, you'd be like, he's a prophet. How the heck did you know that? What's the matter with you, big man? How, where did you get that? Have you, been, have you been speaking to my neighbors? But Jesus knew. Jesus knew as a prophet. Jesus knew as the Son of God. And she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You see, she comes to the divide. Jesus never broached the divide. Jesus, Jesus never talked about the division. Jesus could have walked in like a, a proper theologian. Madam at the well, you are a Samaritan and I am a Jew. There are divisions between us. Let's bridge the gap before we further our conversation. He didn't do that. He just, oof, he just oozed the Holy Spirit. Something took place in him as the Son of God. The Spirit of God manifest in him, on him, and through him spoke through him to bring her to that place of wanting to let go of the damage in the past and the sin and say, I want to follow. I want this living water. Something happened within her. Let's go to slide number nine. It says, the woman replied, woman, Jesus replied, sorry, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, which is true. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In our words, it's not about location, location, location. It's about the spiritual. It's about how we're birthed in the Holy Spirit. Yet yeah, time is coming where true worshipers worship the Father, Spirit, truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. us. Listen to this. Even in the narrative, she didn't recognize that He was the Messiah. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Isn't that wonderful? I am He. So she, she, she didn't get it, but now she gets it. And Jesus had to explain it to her. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that Jesus, the Messiah, has come 2,000 years ago. 
The evidence of it is incredibly real. Jesus was put to death. He rose again from the, from the grave. And he's alive today in heaven. He ascended into heaven. But he sent his Holy Spirit so that we can have a relationship with him today. So that same spirit that Jesus was talking about with the woman at the well, we can be recipients. We can be receivers. We can have a download of that Holy Spirit. We can be signed and sealed with the Spirit of God, but we can also be baptized and full and overflowing with that Spirit. Isn't that good news? That's, that's just not good news. That's flipping awesome news. That is like incredible. And um, Jesus said, I am He. And I love that. He had to explain that to the woman at the well. Jesus was humble enough. He didn't say, do you know what? What the flipping heck? What do you think you're doing? Do you not recognize that I'm the Messiah? Do you not see my long curly hair and my sandals? Did you, did you not hear what I had to say? Did you not recognize it through the prophetic words? He wasn't offended. He was humble. And he said, I am he. Listen, folks, this morning, it's important that every single person on this planet gets to know about the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. He came 2,000 years ago, and every single one of us can know him. So, there's two points of finishing this morning as I bring this to a close. Some of you can wipe the sweat off your brow right now. So, as we bring this to a close, there's two people I want to, two types of people I want to appeal to this morning. One is I want, I want to appeal to those who have already come to know Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and have received the Holy Spirit. But you feel like you need a, a dash more. Who, who needs some more of the Holy Spirit here this morning? I think we all do. We want more. Uh, I just believe that there's going to be a supernatural filling of the Holy Spirit here this morning upon believers and upon those who just come to believe as well. So, I want to appeal to the second person, the people, you might be like the woman at the well or the man at the well where, you know, you feel like, you know, I've come from a different way of thinking. Uh, you know, I've been raised uh, an atheist or I've been raised in a different kind of Christianity where it was very oppressive or something happened to you in your life where you think, what the heck? But I want to tell you here this morning, Jesus wants to have a personal narrative with you. And that's awesome because He does. And many of us hear the Holy Spirit here today. Many of us here today have heard His voice and know what it is to have a narrative with Him. And Jesus wants to get alongside you here this morning. I'd like to invite the band up. You can give me a round of applause for not falling off the stage. I've done well, thank you. <clears throat> I want to invite the band up, and uh, we're, we're, we're going to worship in a moment or two. But I, I'd like to invite you if, you, would, if you would like to know Him, just, just come to know Him. Just believe in your heart and, and, and come and get discipled. You know, it's easy to raise your hand at a meeting and say, me, I want to become a Christian. But you know what? You need to, you need to get discipled. So I, I don't want you to put your hand up this morning. I want you to come to an hour one of our meetings where we'll do some discipleship, either at the coffee shop or one of our small groups or an alpha course. Just come and get connected. So the key thing at the woman at the well was connection, conversation, and the Christ. And the key thing for you this morning is the Christ you've heard about him the next thing is conversation and connection. So we invite you to do that at the end of this meeting. But I want to invite us all to stand here this morning. And I, I want us to be filled again afresh 
with the Holy Spirit. Is it possible? Is it possible, ladies and gentlemen, to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit here this morning? It is. Some of you have got unbelief in your hearts. I just sense it. But the Spirit of God is going to touch people supernaturally here this morning. And we want the supernatural power of God just to come and touch everyone in this room this morning. Father God, just come Holy Spirit and touch everyone in this place and just move in power and do something awesome. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I, I sense his presence here this morning. Now, it may just be that his presence is like a, you ever seen Beam Me Up, Scotty, Star Trek? It was like a beam goes around one person. So I feel the beam of the Lord on me right now. But I have a sense that he wants to beam everybody here this morning. He wants to zap you with his presence, a fresh outpouring of his spirit. He just wants to do that on your life. So just, I just sense his presence right here, right now. So Father God, just do that. Just move in power over every single soul, living soul in this room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Spirit of God, just fill us up afresh with you, O God. Fresh outpouring, fresh anointing, fresh oil, the freshness of your power, the freshness of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. revelation, fresh manna. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. 